Welcome to Short Course, episode 60, for May 3rd, 2019. I'm your host, Ben Barry. Something that I've been thinking about a lot recently in practice is, well, it's a combination of a few ideas, but the, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is that there's no such thing as doing faster, only doing less. And this clearly ties into the end of last week's podcast, where that was sort of the idea is, is that it's not so much about doing all the right things to have a good time and to have a good score on a stage, but that truly excellent shooting is about carving away all the excess and only doing the bare minimum that's that's left for everything else. Okay, so that's all, all well and good, but the question is, how do you get there? How do you how do you carve away that th- those things? And one of them is is obviously just to do some some analysis, some sort of motion study of yourself. Oh, when I reload, <laughs> this is actually a, a problem I used to have. Um, for whatever reason, anytime I did a standing reload, I would like I would do a little bend in my knees, like I was like doing a little like I, I don't even know, like momentary little like dropping my shoulders down and and just hunching and and stooping a little bit. I, no real reason why. And as soon as um, as soon as someone pointed it out to me, and I started feeling it in dry fire. And, and I started catching myself, then I, I started correcting it. Now, it didn't go away overnight. It was, the, the as with most improvements, the first step to fixing it was learning to feel that it's happening, learning to notice that it's happening. Um, and honestly, this is, you know, this is why most people that do think, you know, when you're watching somebody shoot a stage, you're like, don't they realize how, you know, slow something is or how inefficient something is? And the answer is usually they don't. Usually they're they're not self-aware enough to see that. And if they're not getting video, then they, they have no way to see it. All they have is their subjective experience of it in the moment, which is usually inaccurate. Like we talked about last week, uh, they feel fast because they're being very busy. They're doing a lot of very fast individual actions. But when you watch yourself on video fumbling with a magazine and it takes you, you know, five seconds shot to shot, then you're like, wow, that, okay, yeah, that really, that really was a lot slower than it felt, that kind of thing. So that's half the equation, the idea of, of taking a, an action that is fundamentally correct, but stripping out the, the inefficient or the wasteful parts of it. But there's another side of it, and this is a side that, that I've been experimenting with and, and really trying to make gains in this area because I think in the fir- I think I'm pretty good about the first part. I think my shooting at this point is relatively relatively efficient. It doesn't have a ton of wasted motion. I'm I'm very controlled when I draw the gun, when I am reloading the gun, when I'm moving around with it. I think my issue tends to be more that I'm generally slow. And so the question is, how do you take a technique that's slow and make it faster? And this goes back to another idea. This is the, the sort of second of two ideas that, that are that are mashed up together. And this is something that I, I think about the book Peak, where they talk about the idea of don't try harder, try differently. And let's see, if I remember the book correctly, the, the idea was the way the way that a lot of these that these expertise and mastery studies were being done was with this this sort of arbitrary made up game of repeating numbers back to somebody one per second or telling somebody numbers at a rate of one per second and then having them remember them beginning to end and and tell them back in the same order so it was just a a sort of contrived memory type game if i if i remember the the particular scenario correctly i I think they had a a subject who was going through this and he was stuck at some number and he just couldn't memorize past that number and 
instead of just just trying to go for one more number, you know, he could, let's say he could remember 27 and they, they were trying to break through and they couldn't get to 28 or 29. And, you know, the way that they would, the way that they would practice this is they would give him just, just a few numbers beyond his current ability. And that, that worked for the most part. And it, that was a way to make incremental gains, but then you would hit a plateau and you would sort of need to make these, these stepwise gains. You need to make these bigger jumps to get sort of over a hurdle. So you could sort of slowly climb a hill, but then you'd hit a boulder to use a sort of metaphor there, and you, you need a you need a big leap to get over the boulder. And so, if I remember correctly, the the way that they dealt with this is they would they would change the game. And so, if he was trying to remember twenty eight numbers, they would give him more numbers, but they'd read them slower. So instead of reading them one per second, they'd give him one every two seconds. Which, strictly speaking, is not you would you would think that would not really be helpful for the game since the game the skill you're trying to practice is is being read numbers at a rate of one per second but by by trying differently it sort of helped him unlock something by giving him a little bit more time to think it gave him a new way to look at the problem and and feel something different or notice something different about the way his brain was organizing the information and unlock something that was able to to give him some new way to look at the problem some new way to organize the information that the, these these random numbers be given to him. And so when he went back to doing it at full speed, he was able to break through the plateau. And I think that's a good example of technique changes in USPSA that sometimes you can, you can just get more consistent with doing something. You know, maybe you do it 50% of the time and you need to do it hundred percent of the time. There, there are certain gains to be made there and just making it more familiar and more repetitive. But I think in terms of taking techniques that are slow and speeding them up, I think generally speaking, the trick is not to either try and do them faster or try and do them harder, you know, try harder or, or put more emphasis into it. In my experience, generally those, those kinds of stepwise gains come by breaking the task down in, either into two smaller tasks that you can accomplish in sequence, so one after another, or just fundamentally coming to look at the problem differently. So the, the place where this probably shows up the most for me and the place where I feel like I've made the most gains recently is actually in gripping the gun. And I will say I, I have never, I've never been someone who shoots when you, like you would never watch my shooting videos at any point in history and, and look and say, oh yeah, that gun is really flat in his hands. I've always had a, a decent amount of, of muzzle flip, I would say. And it's been okay. I've, I've been able to work with it. The gun, it rises and returns. And so I can still shoot fairly regularly because I can, I get used to sort of how it shoots. And I would say, I mean, certainly I made, I I got to GM without really having a a death grip on the gun or shooting it particularly flat. I mean, you can go back and watch some of the videos from late 2016, 2017, when, you know, right before I got the, the, the enough classifiers to push me over. And you, you really wouldn't think like that there's anything that special going on with my technique. And so it's certainly, it's certainly not a, a requirement to, to make GM, but it is what I've identified as one of the areas of improvement for me. And I can't exactly put my finger on why I think I have definitely over the years, I have tried to just tell myself, Oh, grip harder. Like when you get, when you, when you're on the gun, grip harder. And I could always feel a lot of tension and a lot of sort of energy being exerted, particularly in, in my left hand, uh, which is, I think, generally accepted for a right-handed shooter where you're going to get most of your grip strength from. You know, the, the right hand, you have to balance how how tense your grip strength is 
with losing the dexterity of your trigger finger and a lot of times gripping too hard and trying to control the gun too much will will lead to trigger freeze. But the left hand, it's you know, it's open season. There's no there's no trade-off. It's just all grip all the time. And I would I would try and grip harder, but it never first of all, it didn't it didn't make a difference. The the gun didn't become more tame. And I could feel myself sort of having more of a clinch. I could feel the, the grip being tighter, but that it wasn't actually controlling the the movement of the gun better. And so it just the the standard idea of oh, just grip harder, it it it, it was not working for me. And I, I just kind of let it be. Like I said, I was I was shooting okay with it. But as I've, uh, particularly one of the things that that I've noticed in in watching my match videos compared to the people that I want to be competitive with, is just the fact that engaging a single target, the the shots are coming much quicker. Once once someone is on the target, then it's it's two fair fairly quick shots, both placed accurately. It's not a double tap, but they come to the target, shoot quickly, and then move off of it. Where I would tend to sort of shoot coming in and then take a while for the sights to settle and, and shoot another shot and then transition to the next one. But it was, it was a very, it, it, it didn't feel like two shots on a single target. It felt like lots of individual shots that sort of come in, pop, 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 pop. And, and so it was, it was sort of, I was having to aim every shot individually because I wasn't really controlling the gun. And so there weren't necessarily, you know, pairs of shots. It was, it was a lot of individual shots. And that's one of the things, one of the places that I identified as a, as a place for me to save a lot of time. And so that kicked off a lot of interesting, uh, trying different things out, fooling around with the grips on the Tanfolio, which I'm happy now, but also just fundamentally changing how, how I grip the gun. And I will say I, I have been, I, I've been feeling a lot of improvements in dry fire and live fire and, and also in my matches, like the gun just behaves better. And it's not, I, I, what's weird is I am gripping harder, but I am not gripping harder because I just said, try to grip harder. I'm gripping harder because I fundamentally changed the, the, the way I'm gripping the gun. And so there's, there's a few things there. One is, for example, the reference point on where I want my left hand to sit on the gun relative to the, the grip panels, relative to the trigger guard, and relative to the, the fingers of my right hand. And so I've sort of changed, I've changed where I want it to sit. And, and when I get the hand in the right place, it, it just feels very natural to apply the force to keep the gun under control. And, and I can't really, you know, it's something that's, that's so hard to, to purely describe in audio, but take, take it for what it's worth, the, the idea that the outcome has been gripping harder, but it was not by just taking the same technique and telling myself to, to try harder. It was by fundamentally re-examining, okay, where, why is my hand in the spot that it's in? Is there a better place that it could be in? And once it's there, is there a place where when I, where it almost, it almost feels more natural as the gun goes out to the target to apply that extra pressure, to feel that tension in, in, and really the, really feeling the, the squeeze more in my forearms and in my fingers. So it's, it's more of a, a sort of full hand crush grip than like a, a claw grip, if that makes any, any kind of sense. But Without, you know, I'm not the the point of this is not the the specific technique idea, but the the meta lesson about not trying harder, but trying differently. And so, if you're if you're trying to change your technique, and you're trying to do it in a way that doesn't seem to be, you don't seem to be making a lot of progress because you put more effort into it, and you don't see much res, many results or much return on the the effort put in. That's when you should start thinking in in more of a try differently, look for a different approach, try to understand it at a deeper level. 
So for example, the next place that I need to apply this idea to myself is, is going to be my movement, which tends to be very slow. And I, I have these big elaborate windups to sort of push out a position. And there's, there's just something, there's something wrong with the way I'm moving from position to position. And I, I haven't, I haven't taken the time in live fire and dry fire to sort of work it out yet. But that's, that's sort of the next area to apply this idea where I'm not, I'm going, the goal will be to move faster, but not by running faster, not by just trying to increase my maximum top foot speed, but to, to fundamentally think differently about coming into position and particularly leaving positions. I I think my entries are all right, uh, but it's more, like I said, pushing out and sort of having these elaborate windups and that sort of thing. But the goal is the, the goal is to going to be to move faster, and the result will be to have less time spent moving from position to position. But the the mechanism for getting there will be fundamentally approaching movement in a different way, not just trying to move my feet faster. And to come back to something that I said earlier, it may be in the movement example, it may be that the change that I need to make is actually taking something where I'm trying to do two things at once and break it down into one thing and then another thing right after it and, and break them down into two sort of sequential actions that can each be done more quickly because you can, when you focus on one thing at a time, you can sort of complete it and then move on to the next thing. So an example of that would be something that I've found in my own dry fire, which is when you are practicing reloads, for me, it's very tempting as I start to speed up to, as I'm holding the gun with my right hand and inserting the magazine with my left hand, I want to start to move the whole, the whole combined thing before the magazine's even seated, I want to start pushing the thing out to the target. And seems very logical, right? Less downtime. You're you're actually you're you're getting started on the movement out to the target first. But what I found is it just well, it really it's it's a couple things. One is you just tend to be you tend to hold the gun less solidly. I tend to miss like miss seat the reloads more when when the gun is moving out to the target. Whereas if I finish seating it before I start wrapping my hand around the gun and pushing it back out to the target, I more consistently get the magazine seated. And I also more consistently get a good left hand grip back on the gun because yes, I, I maybe save a few, you know, a 10th or two starting to move the gun out to the target sooner, but there still is that necessary work of seating the magazine and then reestablishing my left hand grip. And if the gun gets out to the target and to a firing position before those two things are completed satisfactorily with sufficient reliability to be acceptable in a match context, then just getting the gun out to the firing position sooner without those other preconditions in place does not help. That is not a a net gain in my technique. And so by taking those two actions that I I want to sort of smear together and, and sort of blur the line and really, especially in practice, making a point of of visualizing and and enforcing a, a separation where seat the mag, start to wrap the, the left hand around, and then build the grip as you go back out of the target, it ends up being faster and it ends up being more reliable, even though it seems like it would be slower only doing one thing at a time. Another example is is and I've talked about this on the podcast before, is on a double action pistol waiting until you've got the gun all the way out on the target and your grip is established. Sights don't necessarily have to be settled, but grip is established before you start working the double action trigger pull. Because even on a gun like mine, where on a good day, the double action is like seven and a half pounds, eight, something like that. I mean, it's not super light, but it's, I mean, light enough. Even with a trigger like that, if you've got your rock solid firing grip in and you work the double, not like a complete idiot, 
then the the front sight is not really going to move. Doubly so, no pun intended, doubly so if in dry fire you regularly practice getting that draw, getting the grip established, and then quickly, but without being sloppy, quickly working that double. And in dry fire, you have you can see how much the front side is moving. And so that's definitely been an emphasis in in practice as I've been working on this, trying to separate out establishing the grip going out to the target from starting to work the double action and do one and then the other. Doing things like uh, Ben Steger's white wall drill or just draw to draw to a sight picture and then, you know, work the double at the after the part-time beep goes off or just untimed draw to draw to one draw to a, a double action pole. I in dry fire, you know, standard wisdom I still agree with the idea that you don't want to be drawing to to pull the trigger before a set part time just because what you will tend to do, your body will know when that second beep is coming and you'll pull the trigger when you think the beep is coming, whether your sights are aligned or not, and that is that's fundamentally just not a good habit to be in. You want to be you want to be building the idea, this visual sequence, this visual pipeline, this visual chain of events of grip, sights, then you shoot. Um, you know, pulling the trigger based on some predetermined speed, whether the sights are there or not, is not a good idea. Don't do that. And one more example, just to kind of round things out here, again, from something that I've been focusing on in, in my drive fire recently, uh, really at the beginning of this season, particularly, I've been sort of taking things back to basic and really doing a lot of very fundamental draws and reload type of, of drills just to, just to work through some of these grip changes and just to really build a, a strong base and not try and be, uh, you know, doing crazy ninja stuff when really the fundamentals are, are where I feel like I still need to, to hammer things out. So in, in this, in working on these reloads, one of the other things is making an effort to separate the act of keeping the gun vertical while dropping the magazine that's leaving the gun and then turning the gun to point towards the magazine that's coming in from the from the magazine pouch. Again, something that especially if all you're trying to do is just do what you're doing but faster, it's very tempting to sort of smear those two things together. And then especially if you've got like a Glock where the mags don't drop free super smoothly, then if you don't have the gun straight up and down and the magazine is very lightweight because it only has one round or no rounds in it, which happens in a match context from now, you know, now and then, then not holding the gun straight up and down can, can really cause you problems. And so it can be very tempting to try and keep, you know, you press the button while the magazine is, while the magazine is in the gun, but then as it's, as soon as you press the button, you start to turn the gun and maybe the, the mag then sort of slides out sideways or it just, it doesn't eject as cleanly. And then you've got the, the gun turned to face the magazine well before you really need it to be there. You know, the, the goal of shooting is in, in a technique like this or in, in the example I was just talking about with reestablishing, you know, having the magazine inserted and pushing the gun out to the target before you, you have your grip reestablished, the, the, it doesn't do you any good in shooting to do something, to have one part of the task done before the other part of the task is, is ready. And so having the gun facing the magazine coming out to do the reload before it's ready to accept the new reload, it doesn't help you. It only needs to be turned to face the new magazine in time for the magazine to get there. Anything earlier than that is... It seems more efficient, but when you really think about it in terms of the necessary sequence of events to successfully reload the gun, it's not really required. And so sort of looking at that and saying, let me hold the gun vertically 
long enough to ensure that the magazine's going to drop straight out, hold that there while I'm messing around with grabbing the mag out of my mag pouch, and then as it's coming in, turn the mag, turn the gun. Because when you think about how far the magazine is coming to the gun, it's going quite a long way compared to how little the gun has to turn to accept the magazine coming in during a reload. And so you really, it, it hardly takes any time at all comparatively to turn the gun than it does to move the mag to the gun. And so if you can break those two things apart and do them sort of in sequence, drop the mag and then turn it instead of smearing the two actions together, you can actually, I think you end up doing everything faster and more reliably, but you're not actually, you're, you're not doing the individual actions faster. You're just doing them more specifically and and in a more separated manner. Well, that wraps up this episode of short course. I actually wrote my first blog post in a while. You can read it, you can subscribe to the blog, or you can join the mailing list to be notified when new posts go up. You can do all that at barryshooting.com. My email is podcast at barryshooting.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, consider buying a shirt at barryshooting.com slash shop. Talk to you next time.